Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakarongo mai koe ki to tātou au horihori. He hotaka e pāna ki te pūtai au, te tai au me te kaupapa o te ora. You're with our changing world on RNZ National. And finally tonight... Could Alzheimer's disease be preventable? Oxford University Emeritus Professor David Smith certainly thinks so. He's visiting New Zealand to meet scientists at Brain Research New Zealand and to discuss how a relatively simple measure could reduce the incidence of Alzheimer's disease and dementia by half. First, he tells Veronica what happens in the brain during the early stages of memory loss. What you see in the brain is a loss of brain tissue, a loss of nerve cells. We say the brain is atrophied. Atrophy means shrinkage. So certain parts of the brain are shrunk and the, great, the longer the disease develops or has been developing, there's less and less tissue. So if you compare the brain from someone who died with Alzheimer's with someone of the same age who died at normal death, uh, there's a huge difference in the brain volume. You know, it's something like 30 or 40% smaller so fewer cells, you know, a smaller number of connections? Is it yes, a bit of both? It, it's both. The, the connections probably go first, and that leads to early signs of memory loss and things like that. But uh, then the cells go, and so really it's, it's catastrophic. And, it, you know, we can't cure it. I'm sorry, we have to say that as scientists. We have to say that we can't cure Alzheimer's. Once you've got it, I'm afraid you're not going to be able to put back the nerve cells and the connections that have gone, even if you could, it's a miracle, you wouldn't recover the memories that you've lost. Is there a way of slowing it down? Or that's, is it what we'll talk about, the prevention of actually getting it in the first place? Yeah, that's the, the target of our research, is to find ways of slowing down the, the shrinkage of the brain, which will then slow down the loss of memory and other higher cognitive functions. So what you're saying is that even after somebody has actually been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, not just with early and mild cognitive difficulties, there is a way of slowing it down? We have only been able to show so far that there's a way of slowing it down in people with mild, what we call mild cognitive impairment. That's the stage just before a diagnosis of dementia. There's a little bit of evidence that people in the earliest stages of dementia we can slow down the process but it's not very strong uh, so we have to catch it really early and that's why we we targeted our research at mild cognitive impairment we all know that eating well keeps you healthy generally and also keeps your brain healthy and this is in fact a specific part of this that you are really looking at supplements that might help the brain to stave off whatever goes on when you start developing Alzheimer's? Yes, we're looking at uh, particular supplements, some of the B vitamins, folic acid, vitamin B12 and vitamin B6, because they control the level of an amino acid in the blood called homocysteine, which seems to be toxic for the brain. People with higher levels of homocysteine 
in the blood, they show a faster rate of shrinkage of the brain than people with low or normal levels. So when we discovered this, we decided we'd do a trial to see if lowering homocysteine by giving these supplements of B vitamins would actually slow down the rate of brain shrinkage. Can, I, can, I, can I roll you back a few steps to just yeah. talk briefly about homocysteine as an amino acid? Obviously, it's something that we do need, but do you know how it is that it is toxic? You know, what is it about it that is toxic to the, the brain? There are many uh, theories and experiments about why it's toxic, but what we do know is if you put homocysteine in a, in a dish that has got cultured nerve cells in it, it'll kill them off. One of the leading causes of Alzheimer's disease is raised homocysteine in the blood, and uh, that's probably because it has many different ways of damaging the brain. Okay, so let's, let's then go back to what B vitamins do. If you take them, they can lower an even raised level of this amino acid? They stimulate its metabolism so that it's used up uh, in a constructive way, as it were, in, in the brain. And uh, so they lower the level in, in the blood. They do this in all tissues of the body, not just the brain. In the study that you've referred to, you've also looked at the levels of omega-3 fatty acids. So it was a combination of those two supplements or nutrients. Can you talk not, me through the connection between those or the linkage? The study wasn't quite a combination. What we did, the, the original study, <clears throat> which we completed in 2009, uh, was just to give B vitamins to people with mild cognitive impairment. And uh, as I said, it did markedly slow down the rate of shrinkage of the brain uh, by as much as 53% in those with high levels of homocysteine. But it only did that in people with high levels. People with low levels, there was no effect on the rate of brain shrinkage. So that suggests that the effect of the B vitamins is due to lowering homocysteine. In that study, we didn't give anything else to these people, but we had the idea that maybe omega-3 fatty acids are important since other studies had shown that a good level of omega-3 fatty acids, which you get from eating oily fish, um, seems to be protective against Alzheimer's. So we were curious whether we could find this protective effect in our patients with mild cognitive impairment. And so we measured the blood levels of the omega-3 fatty acids in the blood that we'd taken uh, at the beginning of the trial. The trial lasted two years. Uh, <clears throat> and we looked to see whether the level of these omega-3 fatty acids could influence the rate at which the brain was shrinking. And it did and didn't. It only did so in the people who had B vitamins, not in the people who didn't. So clearly there was some interaction going on between these two nutrients. And we've analysed the data in detail and we've shown that there really is an interaction, that the higher the level of omega-3 fatty acids in your blood, the better the B vitamins work at slowing the brain shrinkage. So just taking omega-3s would not make a difference, but taking or you know, having omega-3s in your diet, not necessarily even as a supplement, but having... Um, that in your diet and taking vitamin Bs does make a difference? Well, that's what we've shown. Um, but in fact, I think even just taking omega thieves uh, could be beneficial uh, if you have a good B vitamin status. And that's the crucial thing. Uh, some people naturally have a better B vitamin status than others. But as we get older, 
our B vitamin status gets worse and worse, especially in relation to B12. And that was the, the vitamin that we found was crucial in this study. What are you recommending? Are you recommending that people should start taking these as supplements or are you recommending that people should watch their diet? The dietary level of B vitamins isn't really enough for older people, to be honest. What well, would you best eat to have a high level? To have a high level, uh, you need lots of green vegetables for the folic acid and for the B12, you need... Um, things like liver or fish. Fish is a good source of B12 and especially shellfish. But we're not even sure that that would be enough in certain older people to provide the B12 needed to protect the brain. And that's why we gave very high doses in our trial. Uh, because if you give a high dose, even if your normal mechanism of absorption is not working, as it, in about 30 or 40% of elderly it's not, uh, you still get enough of the B12 absorbed passively uh, across the intestine, and that's why we chose a high dose. So what am I recommending? I'm recommending that we have a diet and take due notice that we need a good source of B12. But if you do develop memory problems, then have your homocysteine measured, and if it's high, take some supplements, high-dose supplements of B12 and folic acid. Do you know from this trial that the people you've had taking part in the study, you were saying earlier that they had mild cognitive impairments, would they have gone on to develop Alzheimer's without this? That's a very good question. We, we would love to know the answer. And uh, <clears throat> our trial wasn't designed or funded to do that. You'd need a lot more people. We had 250 uh, and that was good enough to measure the brain shrinkage and indeed the, the memory. Memory was protected by this uh, B vitamin treatment of people with good omega-3 status, so the memory decline was virtually abolished. But it isn't enough to um, study the conversion to dementia because you need a, a larger number of people to get a statistically significant result. So we applied for funding to do this trial, the trial we wanted to do was to give B vitamins and omega-3 fatty acids to people with mild cognitive impairment and follow them for three to four years to see if we could reduce the number who converted to Alzheimer's or dementia. Unfortunately, we couldn't get that trial funded. Do you people know why? are not interested in, in vitamins, it seems. You know, I have to say that I'm really quite disappointed because the, the trial that we did with the B vitamins is the first trial to show that you can modify the disease process in Alzheimer's disease. It's actually the first. All the drug trials have failed that have been done, and we've managed to do it with simple vit vitamins. And yet, to take it to the next step, which is crucial, uh, really, can't get funding. Are you trying to um, perhaps you know, develop policy that would draw up recommendations about certain levels at a certain age that would be recommended as healthy as a preventive measure? What we've done is using the data from our Oxford trial, which is only on 250 people, we've made some s predictions. But of course you do need more evidence. But to get this evidence, even if we could get it funded, you'd need to do another trial which would last five years. And in the meantime, there are hundreds of thousands of people who will develop dementia. So we think that an interim decision should be taken in, health, in memory clinics, for example, that 
you measure the homocysteine of someone who's got a memory problem, and if it's above a certain level, then you should give them B vitamins. Now, that's exactly what they do in Sweden. I'm pleased to say that the Swedish memory clinics now are taking the data from our trial and putting it into clinical practice, but I've no, nowhere else in the world do I know of that is doing that. If I turn your findings on their head, would you go as far as saying that Alzheimer's may not just be a, a condition of older age and degeneration of the brain, but also a lifestyle disease in the sense that our diets, particularly in older age, are no longer sufficient to keep the brain healthy. Yes, that's a very uh, fair summary of what I believe at the moment, that uh, uh, Alzheimer's certainly is not an inevitable part of ageing. That's the first thing that I believe, and I think most scientists now believe that. Secondly, is not mainly a genetic disease. There are genetic elements which increase the risk, but the pure genes that cause it are extremely rare. There are three of them so far identified and in less than 1% of people with Alzheimer's. So we're looking at a disease of lifestyle, just like heart disease and stroke. And what we need to do is identify the risk factors that we can modify. And raised homocysteine is one, raised blood pressure is another, diabetes is another, lack of exercise is another. So we're, we're gradually identifying more and more of these lifestyle factors. And I think if we can identify them and put, persuade people to adopt better lifestyles and to treat their high blood pressure and diabetes, etc., we will reduce the incidence of dementia by as much as 50%. And that was David Smith, Emeritus Professor of Pharmacology at Oxford University. And he's also a member of the International Scientific Advisory Committee for Brain Research New Zealand. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Matewa.